Welcome in to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's another football on random things. It's a victory Monday. Iowa State with a 30-7 to win over the Texas Longhorns on Saturday at Jack Trice Stadium. Sending the Longhorns on the dusty trail off to the Southeastern Conference with a, with a nice little parting gift. Uh, Cyclones were dominant for the majority of the game. But Jeff, I think the first thing we got to talk about, man, I, and you know, I hate to have to start with the negative, but the Cyclones lost the second quarter seven to zero. What, like, what does it take to win the second quarter in addition to all the other quarters? Man, I, it's, it's, you know, I think, I think, I mean, Campbell needs to quit. I mean, how do you lose the second quarter seven to zero? Well, I mean, that would Texas. probably be, be, that would probably be the suggestion in Austin, Texas at this point. Dude, we were talking about this before we started recording. Has there been a formal apology letter to Tom Herman yet? Have they said, I'm sorry, we were wrong. The fact that we pushed you out uh, to hire a new coach for no real good reason wasn't the right decision. Have, has that apology letter happened? I do not believe so. Uh, you know should. what I think Tom Herman would do if, if Chris Del Conte sent him apology a letter? <laughs> uh, knowing Tom Herman, there's a whole lot of F words that are coming with that response. I was going to say, I bet Tom Herman would wipe his ass with that letter. I, he would be, he would find a way more creative way to respond to that. He'd wipe his ass way. with it. And then he would, he would post a picture of it on Twitter. I don't even know Dude, if Tom it, Herman's on Twitter. I don't know, but it's just, a. it's so funny because you look at what Texas was even last year, because they're not so different of a team. And, and yes, they lost Sam Ellinger. I understand that this year probably would have been naturally worse because you lose your best quarterback. There's going to be a little bit of a step back. Sure. But they are demonstrably less invested than they were last year. And that's the biggest difference. It's not necessarily that they have less talent or they have less, whatever is that you can tell the team gives substantially less of a shit. And when you're in the, in the first half, again, you mentioned it before we started recording in the first half, Iowa state was kind of in that, uh, feeling the, you know, the, the feeling out the distance that, that boxers will do trying to, you know, see how far the jabs go, what that dude's arms are trying to understand what, whatever you want to get them started faster. And Texas started doing a lot more schematic things that were different, but the feel of the game is that Texas was kind of just waiting for the shoe to drop. Like at some point they sort of expected to get pushed around. They sort of expected the game to be over so they could just get out of aims. They don't really care. That team was never there with Tom Herman. It was never a, let's just get out of here type thing. And so now you have this like substantially precipitous fall from last year at this time to this year at this time, and they still have games left and the season means nothing. And you have a team that doesn't really care. How's that going to go? Are you telling me that this is the week? What? Did the Jayhawks do it this week? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. I mean, Texas. I'm sure you would have told me the same thing about the UNLV running Rebels on Saturday night. And look what happened with them. 14 game winning streak or losing streak is snapped. Second longest losing streak in the country. Yeah, it's helping not, the Cyclones and strength the schedule with their big win <laughs> over New Mexico. <laughs> Uh, strike the schedule, man. That's what we're after. And we need UNLV to pick up the slack. <laughs> hey, Cincinnati needs help like in that area as well. So it's like, you know, Iowa state might as well be part of the conversation. Uh, yeah, whatever. 
But no, that was one thing that just jumped out to me about that game because every other time that a Texas team has come to Ames, at least early in games, you can at least at minimum assume that there will be like Texas, Texas's defense, especially they're going to have some juice, you know, like they're going to make some tackles for loss and stuff like that. And they're like, guys are going to be flying around. You're going to be able to tell people are excited. There was never that from them, you know, like it looked like the entire first half of the game was largely it was like, yeah, well, you know, we might have some success right now, but we know eventually like this is not going to happen. They did not look like they showed up expecting to win. And it's like they showed up expecting that it was kind of a foregone conclusion that Iowa state was going to be physical. They were going to run the ball. You're going to probably score some points. We might lose. We might not lose. Doesn't really matter. Whatever. Like that was sort of what it, it felt like Texas came in as. (laughs) And after the week that they had, uh, that is, I don't want to say expected, but it, it just feels like, again, they need an apology letter to Tom Herman. And I don't think that the stubbornness and, and I, I mean, dare to say arrogance of the brass and administration and decision makers and boosters and stuff that go to Texas are going to admit that they were wrong, but guys, it's your fault. What like, do I you don't, think was going to happen? I don't think they're going to fire Steve Sarkeesian, but just imagine if they did like how much that would set them back even more Oh, to, to have to start wonderful. over again. And you know and that maybe, there's people down there who want to. And maybe, maybe, you know, two or three years from now, Sark gets his guys in here. I don't know how they could possibly do it, but let's say they land uh, the Manning kid, Arch Manning, whatever. Let's say they land that and, you know, eventually maybe they get it turned around, but by that time they're in the SEC. Like it is a completely different, situation than what they're in right now. And maybe that's the reset they need. I don't, I don't know. It's just so bad. And yeah, you got to give a coach a little bit of time to kind of figure out what he's got, what the system works here, you know, logistically, like who picks up the mail in the morning, like that kind of just logistical stuff that eventually you get on autopilot. But it's just, I I think that's the tech takeaway, which, you know, what's really fun about this is we've spent what eight minutes talking so far about this game. And we haven't even once mentioned the fact that Iowa state beat the ever living shit out of Texas. We didn't talk about that, but we're just talking about how bad Texas look. We're not talking about how good Iowa state is, which is really fun. Like I saw a statistic this morning that Matt Campbell has 40.5% of all conference wins in the history of Iowa state. Well, big against big 12 teams. So yeah, yeah, not bad. Not bad. If in what six years over the last 30, you have 40% of all wins. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Speaks to the success that they've had the last several years and how unprecedented it is in the history of Iowa state. Uh, man, I just, let's start. I mean, let's just start with the first half. Uh, the first half was unbelievably boring, like not very good football game for the first 30 minutes. It wasn't boring for me. I mean, we had a, the 2011 all sports or the 2011 team reunion. I got to hang out with a bunch of old teammates. That was a blast. It was the, you, it's the inside jokes that they carry for like five years. And then you don't see anybody for like six or seven years. And then you just click right back into inside jokes. It's a so much fun. So if you're, if anybody's hosting reunions, I'm down. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, the first half. So I, I, it wasn't really, I mean, at the time, like not able to, 
watching the game from the stadium, it's not as good as watching it from the box to actually like get an idea of what's actually happening. Um, and so rewatching it, Matt Campbell said, um, in the post game interviews with heft that they had done things differently on first and second down that they were, than they were expecting him to do, which is why they called the game the way they did because they were brought a lot more pressure, which changed the way that they brought a lot more pressure and played a lot more man. And they were expecting to be a passive end zone, which is like two completely opposite things. So you're expecting zig and they do a zag and you are running a play that is supposed to attack the zig and, now you're going to get completely screwed over. But like they just weren't, there weren't enough. There wasn't enough of a sample size to get an idea of what Texas was doing on that day, as opposed to what they had been doing on film. But then you go on halftime and you get a chance to actually like look through the film or, or like break down, like what the statistics on how they did, where they're bringing their blitzes from what tell they're going to be using for the blitzes. And you get to actually make the adjustment at halftime to say, Oh, this is what's happening. So I think most of it was, I guess the offensive stagnation, even though they had like 185 yards, they just field position wasn't good, but they, they just didn't have the Texas ran something completely different than what they were expecting. And then they just got to make an adjustment. And then the defense, God, it's good to have Mike Rose back. It really is. Yeah. And he was, I mean, it just is crazy to see the night and day difference between the team when he's out there and it, as we expected, the tackling was drastically better with Mike Rose on the football field. Like who would have thought, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and it might be, again, you, it might be because they played poorly. Everybody gets to talking to have to do a little soul searching. You're like, oh man, I should try harder. You know, that kind of thing. But, and so everybody's going to naturally do better, but then you put the best player on the, on your defense, arguably back on the field. And he gets to tell them on the field, Hey, you're not doing this well enough. Or, Hey, if there's three by one, I need you in between number two and three, you know, whatever, like the, you get the communication, you get micros to be kind of a, the, the, to tie everything back together. So yeah, it's real good to have 23 back on the field. Uh, you want to know who had a really good day? And like, this is like a side shout out before we even dive into like the true shout outs. Cause there were some guys that had like monster days. Daytron young had a very good day. I, I want to shout out to number two because he played really well after playing not very well out in Morgantown had four tackles, three solo tackles and two tackles for loss. Great game for number two. Yeah. And so what I will say is, so Daytron young has, has been at, for about a year now has been a really good run defense corner. Like he has been for the most part, able to set a really good edge to get people on the ground, unless like a, I mean, again, West Virginia is a pretty bad example of that, but his weakness, he's still not great when you put him in true man to man or more or less what turns into man to man, that's still not his game, but the game transpired in a way that he wasn't able, they, Texas wasn't able to get to in situations that he's not strong in because of 58 and nine. So Awazirike and Will McDonald each had two and a half sacks. And also Zach Peterson and you know, Tucker Robertson, like a bunch of guys were getting pressure. And you have all of this, you have the pressure. I mean, also Casey Thompson, I don't know what he did to get fired. He threw like two or three bad passes, but then Hudson card came in and it wasn't any better, but you have both quarterbacks that had played. Now, granted one was only for like three possessions, but 
both quarterbacks got sped up by the pass rush because Iowa state's pass rush was really good, which that didn't happen against West Virginia. They did not speed up Jarrett Dagey, which allowed them to take the big shots against Iowa state to put someone like Daytron young in bad situations. But that's the difference that a pass rush makes versus not having one is getting your guys allowing Daytron young to, to operate in his strengths, which is in run defense. Cause he's really good in run defense and not ha- force him in a position where he's got to play man to man against a guy. Cause that imagine if they were able to protect Hudson card and they get to throw four deep balls to Xavier worthy on Daytron young. How's that going to go? Probably not well, mm-hmm. but because of the pass rush, they weren't able to get that positioning or Texas wasn't able to get in that position to do that. So yeah, it was I mean, credit to two for doing really well, but also credit the rest of the defense, especially the defensive line in getting pressure on the quarterbacks to make, to speed up their thinking, to not let them take those deep shots. It seemed like they had a weird offensive game plan, even what like for, plan? for what, yeah. Like counteracting even what Iowa state was able to do, because then in the second half, when it, especially once it became like pretty clear, Texas was going to have to throw the ball if they wanted to be able to make any sort of run, which was, you know, a tall task. Uh, like they stood back there forever, man. Like they never tried to do anything. It seemed like to get those guys into any sort of a rhythm, even early in the game. You well, know? And what's, what's crazy is that it's not, we talked about it with Neil Brown and again, West Virginia, it's, it's a, it's, it's a straight dichotomy of one has a really good coaching game plan. And one is a really bad coaching game plan. And maybe, maybe the game plan was good and they just had to get away from it because something, but Neil Brown looked at Iowa state's defense. And in the same way that everybody else looks, I mean, when I, when, when Iowa state plays played back when Baylor was based straight up, like one for one stealing. I like when Matt rule there and just straight up one-to-one stealing Iowa state's defense. You look at this defense, the scheme that breaks this defense is what West Virginia did in the first half to Iowa state, which is throw it at four yards, take the four yards, move on. Then it's second and six and throw it for four yards. And then it's third and two, and then throw it for four yards. And then it's first and 10. And it's just that all the way down the field, Texas didn't have the patience to do it. They try to take these big shots and you know what this defense is designed to this intermediate shots. You know what this defense is designed to stop big and intermediate shots. If they're doing their jobs, right. That is the worst game plan you can come in with. And they just tried to do it again and do it again and do it again. And I think Aishin Young ripping the ball out of B. John Robinson's hands on the very first drive, probably scared the coaching staff out of trying to ride B. John Robinson for 27 carries, you know, So I don't know. It was such a, it was such a poorly called game. I don't understand what Texas was trying to do. Like the whole thing, rewatching it twice. I do not understand what their attack strategy was. Like what things about this defense did you think you were taking advantage of when you did run these things? Yeah. And especially just, I mean, and I kind of said this to you before, like they, you know, they threw the ball to Bijan a handful of times where you could tell what they were trying to do. Like there was so little room for him in between the tackles that it could just seem like they were trying to get him out in space and like make that a little bit easier. But Iowa state gang tackled so well during the game that even, you know, the cornerbacks would do a good job of stacking somebody up at the line. And then even if he could, you know, stay on his feet, you've got four or five people coming and hitting him. And that like, that's where I kind of said to you, I was like, man, I'm surprised that they kept him in the game later. And like, I get why they did because you know, you need your best player on the field if you're going to have any chance to make a run, but it's also like, 
every time that that guy gets tackled, he's basically getting tackled like three times because of the fact that it takes, it's so hard to get him on the freaking ground. It takes so many people to come and hit him, to get him down, you know, you're yeah, taking like twice what, as many hits. Yeah. And, and I, the, the second injury, the one that he was down on the ground for a while, I think that was a pride injury, which I've had those before for sure, which is you fumble and on everything hurts. Everything hurts your arm, your soul, your pinky toe, everything hurts when you're on the ground. So I think that was fumble happened and something also hurt at the same time, but the, the shame makes that physical pain 15 times worse. So I'm guessing that was a pride injury. It's so not as bad, but at the same time, I mean, to, to your point is valid. They were trying to get Bijan in space, but the ways that they were trying to get him in space didn't match up with what Iowa state was actually doing. And, and another thing that I would say, I mean, to in, in the pro sense, and we just kind of forget about it most of the time. There were two. So there was one, I think Xavier worthy was the one that actually broke. There was a post uh, across the middle that Kimani King just got all kinds of turned around and Aishim Young trying to make up and just play underneath it. But that ball was overthrown by about five yards. If you would have connected on that, that's a wide open, big play touchdown. And that changes things. There was another one where Casey Thompson, again, I think they had, they ran double digs where uh, at about 12 yards, one guy runs across to pull the coverage in front and then it, at the exact same yard line, another guy runs right behind him in the space just created. And Casey Thompson just spiked that one into the ground about nine yards short. And I think that was the one that got him fired. But they they had a couple of open opportunities that just didn't execute on it. But outside of those, the game plan didn't make sense. Okay, it, it was not the right fit for what this defense is rife to be that you can actually get on this defense. It wasn't it wasn't that. And I mean, shoot, they had going into the last drive with 30 seconds left. They had like 185 yards or something like that. So they got over 200 yards of total offense in straight up garbage time on the last play of the game. 200. So that, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say so they had basically 185 yards that actually mattered in the entire game. 207 yards of total offense is the fewest Texas has been held to since uh, Halloween night in 2015 when the Cyclones beat uh, Texas 24 to zero. And I guess that would have been the last win of the Paul Rhodes era at Iowa state. Uh, all right. Another shout out best game of Will McDonald's career. And, and frankly, I don't know that it was close. I mean, you, if you want to see evidence for why number nine is as good as any pass rusher in the country, as good as any edge rusher in college football deserves to probably be an all American. I mean, turn the tape on from this game. He was unbelievable for the majority of the game with the amount of attention that he drew from the Texas offensive line. Uh, his motor is like crazy. a sight to behold, dude. It's crazy. That's, that's his best attribute. Yeah. I mean, it, it was crazy to see, like, I won't lie, man. You could tell that he was getting tired. Like the one time when he was down at the goal line, I, I think maybe he got the wind knocked out of him or something, but it was one of those things where you just look at it and you're like, man, that guy is, he is giving it everything, you know? And, uh, he was able to, every time that they would drop back to pass, he would rush at the, at the tackle have the guard come in and basically just try after he would engage with the tackle, try and knock him off, you know, just mm -hmm. try and knock him over basically. And he would like, there were times where he'd basically get bent over at the waist, spin back and then come inside 
and somehow almost get to the quarterback still. I think on his first sack, that's how he did. He almost fell down, spun back while almost falling down, and then almost and then sacked the quarterback. And I was like, that was a moment when I was like, okay, yeah, that's an NFL type move right there. And it's the funny or the fun thing about watching Will McDonald rush the rush the passer is uh, in the vein, and I'm not. This is not a comparison. This is just one attribute from the player, Dwight Freeney. Invent like patented the spin move. He, he, I mean, other people use it like Reggie white used it. Bruce Smith used it. Like the, the spin move existed, but Dwight Freeney made it. So his, the way that he ran that pass rush move in pass rush situations, like he couldn't do it all the time. Uh, just, you know, if it's first and 10 and they're going to run right at you, you can't spin up the field uh, or, or run, you know, you're, it's not a possible thing, but in passing downs and you know that you can go get them, you have, one of the dirtiest moves that's really ever been, you know, that has ever existed in defensive football in football in general, really in football in general, it's yeah. dirty. Dwight Freeney's spin move. And for those of you that are not old enough or don't remember like YouTube it, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. It's the most unstoppable thing you can think of. Now, the reason why I say that is Will McDonald has that type of explosiveness and a one, two that he likes to use. And because of that, he is so freaking hard to stop because his main move that he's going to use is it's just going to be a straight up rip. I mean, right. it's, it is, I'm going to get up the field faster than you. you, you as an offensive tackle cannot get up, get, you can't kick step or backpedal or whatever you want to call it. You can't kick step fast enough to get to where I'm going to get to. I'm going to put my shoulder at about two and a half feet off the ground and rip underneath you. And if you can maybe get me stood up, maybe the only way to do that is by holding or trying to get so overextended that you, to get to that spot, then you just spin to come back underneath mm -hmm. it. And then if there's a guard there, I've already taken care of the tackle. So minimally that guy's out of play. And now I'm one-on-one -on -one with the guard. And then at that point, it's just because of the pressure that he's got there, the quarterback feels that the quarterback now has to move. And then it just becomes like street ball. Like I'm going to go get the quarterback because I've already taken care of the tackle. Now I'm basically one-on-one -on -one with the guard and that, that up the field rip and then a spin to counteract that, that's all really he does. And it's not, to, that's not a bad thing. Again, Dwight Freeney did basically two pass rush moves. It was a speed rush, maybe three. It was speed rush. It was a bull rush. And it was a spin move. He had three. And if you got the simplicity of that, it's like Mariano Rivera and the cutter, like Mariano Rivera threw a cutter. It was 92% of the time, but every once in a while would throw a change up. And because you're expecting cutter, so dumb, like so consistently when you see the change up, it's just gone. Like you can't find it, but the, 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 the execution of that move. And so Will McDonald, when he runs that rip early in the game and you see him getting basically like horse collared, whether or not it's called or not, that tackle in his head is like, damn, like I've got to get going fast. And then they're going to send help to him. And then he's going to spin off into that help. I mean, it, it is so impressive to watch him in pass rush situations. And that's why almost every single opposing coach brings him up by name or number in their press conference, talking about Iowa state's defense, because he is that much of a problem. It's almost like in uh, like when you're learning to be a post player, you know, like you can have a good move, you know, your hook shot can be a really good move. It can't be a great move until you have an upper up and under to counteract it, you know, because then once teams are anticipating that, like you have to have the thing that can keep people honest. And like, that's what separates you from being good and great is having not only a really good 
or, or great, you know, primary move, but you have to have a good secondary move. That is your counter to your primary move. Exactly. And like that's what we're, how we've seen will elevate himself is going from not only being a pure speed rusher that can just like run by you, but to having the pass rush moves along with it to counteract the speed and like, and, and you know, infuse some of the power and some of those kinds of things. But what, what has made, like, I think has been better for this defense than we probably could have really even expected is with will drawing that much attention, if you get any into one-on-one situations, any is going to just physically manhandle one other person more yeah, often than not. And he'll just push someone five yards into the backfield. Yeah. And you talk about just so pass rush moves, any's primary move is a bull rush because, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say numbers and it sounds like, Oh, that's a big human. But until you physically exist next to it, any is what? Six, six, three Like, mm you don't realize how enormous of a human being that is until you are standing next to, or in adjacent, you know, or, or he is standing next to a person that you've met and he's towering over and just looming over that person. Uh, so Aaron and I were at the game and, and the, the seats they gave us were in section 29. It was like the first 10 rows of section 29, which is like 15 yard line ish on the away sideline towards the suit And so we were sitting just second row or first row or whatever. And it's, it's a better vantage point to see. And that time when he kind of got like, I just had like a calf cramp, he's going over there. All the trainers are like sitting, like kneeling around him. And as he's kneeling down there, his torso is taller than like most of the trainers that are there. And Aaron looks at me and he's like, wow, he's a big human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a big he guy. Is. He's a big human and he's got super long arms and any, I think his, he plays not like a true defensive end. It's not his natural position like Will McDonald is a rush end. It's the Von Miller outside linebacker rush end. Like that is his primary position. And he plays much more like a three technique, which is the Aaron Donald position. Like that it's the interior defensive lineman that's meant to cause havoc, but is also going to, it's going to be against interior linemen. Like that's the thing that he's going to do. Interior linemen are generally shorter than tackles. Tackles are meant to be like your six foot seven, 310 pound it's KO. KO moved into garden in, in the NFL, but he was, a, I mean, that type of body is usually a tackle. Well, the shorter guards are usually lower to the ground, but have shorter arms. And he is, if he can, when he plays with good pad leverage, because he is so long, if he gets his hands locked on your chest, you are not going to touch him because his arms are 14 feet long and he's three thirty. So you have this, his capacity to just lift a guard, get his chest up and just walk him backwards, which is the direct opposite of Will McDonald. But like you said, when Will draws a tackle and a guard, then you're going to have somebody like Isaiah Lee or J.R. Singleton or whatever occupy the center. And then any gets to take on pretty much just the tackle or just the guard, depending on what, whoever else is rushing. All right. I'll take any Wazirike pushing somebody back. I mean, that's where, that's how he got his two and a half sacks is just walking a human being away from where he wants to be. And so I'm going to make a comparison and I don't mean like in their physical talent, I'm talking just like the position they play and he's going to play like eight years in the NFL playing the same position that like in Dominican Sue does in the NFL where he, I think he's technically like a, he's technically listed as like a defensive end in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay. But I mean, obviously he's been a tackle the majority of his career. Like if any played on in a team that on a team that is a four, three team, he probably plays 
one of the tackle spots or the nose guard spot. Three tech. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but if he's on a three, four team, like he's going to be that guy on the edge that is, you know, that opens things up for a Von Miller or a Shaq Barrett or somebody like mm-hmm. that, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a great compliment. It, the way any plays and the way McDonald plays, they are terrific compliments for each other. And they just absolutely wreak havoc, man. What a, what a duo. Uh, like I said, I think that that group, those two guys have been, as good or better than our wildest expectations could have probably been for them uh, coming into the year. All right, let's flip it over to the offense. Then uh, the shout outs start with one man and one man only. I think they could even end with one man and one man only. They won't, but they could uh, with number 28, man, special back dude. Like, I, I don't know. The, the kid just does something every week. You know, David did this like every week where David just does something where you just, it just makes you shake your head and you're like, what in the hell? You know, uh-huh. the 47 yard run that he had uh, at the beginning of the third quarter was, and I was thinking about this yesterday as I was rewatching the game, that was as good of a run as I've seen live ever in, in a really long time, at least, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that was just pure ability taking over and being better and than everybody I- else on the field. And, and so that would play was fantastic. But the one that to me was even more impressive was it was like a 25 ish yard run with the spin in the, in the second half with a spin, because each one of those moves was two moves ahead purely on instinct. Like you don't have time to think when you're doing it that frequent, excuse me, that frequently in that back to back, like you don't have time to process. I'm going to set this guy up so I can do this. He was just on instinct knowing this pressure is coming to my right shoulder. I can't take that pressure. So I'm going to roll. I'm going to spin back this way. And once I spin back this way, if you take too long in that spin, you get hit with a helmet in the sternum. So you have to finish that quick. And then once you get back down, you have half a second to analyze where everything else is. And you go and make another move and make another move and make another move. The thing is, he's just so smooth with all, with everything that happens, it's, it's a, it's a surprise when the next down and distance comes up and you're like, wait, that was a first down. Like, cause you don't notice, you know, you see this, uh, uh, like Jalen Warren, for example, like Jalen Warren is going to like plow through somebody or he's going to make this huge jump cut or whatever. And you're like, that dude is working really hard. Well, Brees never looks like he's actually working that hard. He just ends up with like seven yards on a, on a run. And you're like, wait, where did, how is it? Second and three. Oh, okay, cool. That's, that's nice. Or a 48 yard touchdown run where that's a little bit of space, get one guy, one-on-one opportunity. And then all of a sudden just boom, 47 yards. I don't, I don't think Brees will probably win the Doak Walker award this year. Uh, just because of how good Kenneth Walker has been for, for Michigan state. Find me a tailback who's been more consistent than Brees Hall has in college football in the last two years. You he's cannot gotta be, he's got to be a finalist for, Oh, oh he'll Joe absolutely Walker. be a finalist. There's no way that he can't be a finalist. I mean, I, and I think I'm a voter for that award. I, if he's not, I will be furious. Cause it'd be Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall. And then, I mean, we're obviously biased towards Brees, but I mean, maybe Bijan, depending on what he does for the rest of the year. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say probably him, uh, or this, the kid, I, mean, I don't from, know who else it would be the kid from the kid from A and M the, yeah. Uh, 
Shoot. Starts with an A. Forget his last name, but yeah, I, I mean, can't someone remember. like that. I can't remember his name. Oh, um, uh, ET. It's not ETN, is it? It's not ETN. No, that's Travis ETN. He was Clemson for a, a long time. For some time. reason, I thought it's his not name was Spiller. It's uh, oh I, yes, uh, Spill Isaiah Spiller. I, it's, yeah, it's Isaiah Spiller. It's his the other compatriot because Spiller was out for like three games, and the other dude was just carrying A and M. So like maybe that guy then, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, Brees. We are so lucky to have had David Montgomery pretty much directly into Brees Hall. Like that's such a crazy back-to-back that I don't know. It, it, lucky. I mean, just uh, assume that you're not going to get that again. And it's wild to think that Kane Nwongo, who the second time that he ever touched the football at the NFL level went 97 yards to the end zone and was sprinting away from NFL athletes, making them look like they were standing in mud, uh, was a backup to those guys for four years, five years. And, And never was like, and there was really never even a conversation of like, this guy should be the starting running back, even though he was obviously an electric playmaker the entire time. Yeah. It's great. I mean, shout out props to Kane for housing that one. Dude, it's it, it was so cool though, man. Cause like I looked it up, it had been 1,807 days since the last time Kanae had scored a touchdown on a kick return. Think how many times he got like one guy away, you know? It was basically every kick return. <laughs> right. Every time he returned it, he was nearly going for a touchdown. Yeah. And like the to see he so he returned the first one for the Vikings in that game. And I texted my buddy and I was like, dude, Kane is going to house one. Cause you could just see that he was seeing the lanes mm-hmm. and it was like, and I think he even, after he got tackled on that one, he popped up and he looked at his teammate and was like, and basically did what Brees does where he was just like, like, man, it was that close, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I feel like he's going to get a seam and like break one of those tackles and all of a sudden be running for a really long time. And it just kind of comes down to if someone makes a good enough angle to catch him. And yeah. the second that he, broke that tackle in the hole and then got going towards the sidelines. I was like, "Uh Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they know the kind of speed that they're dealing with now that they've got him on the edge. Yeah. It real fast. Yeah. Real fast. And we've known it for a long time. It's just good to see that the rest of the world gets to see it. Right. Special player, man. Cool to see Alan Lazar getting to the end zone too, uh, as well in the Packers game, uh, was, a, had a big touchdown for them, even though they didn't win, but, uh, just yeah i mean the 47 yard run was was truly special the the one that uh that you mentioned was was also fantastic it, and like the second that he did that that like he made that play where he went for 47 yards and scored the touchdown it they were up 10 to 7 and i was like okay i think they're good mm-hmm. like it well you could it was and it goes back to texas like yeah texas didn't want to be there and that was finally the reason to allow them to quit. Yeah. And that's kind of what I told you before we even started. Well, and then they returned the, the kickoff, the next kickoff, all of a sudden Iowa state's kickoff coverage team is like dog. They're dogs. They're like stopping people at like the 15 yard line (laughs) after being just dreadful for, for years, (laughs) two years, they were horrible. And all of a sudden they're like, yeah, now we, now we fly, you know, like Darian Porter has been a menace on special teams the last couple of weeks. Uh I don't know if anybody else has noticed that, but then even the, the play, I think this was the same one where Will had like, Will McDonald is gassed, dude. This guy is running like at a million miles an hour on every single play of the game. And then he's sprinting down on kickoff to make a tackle at the 18 yard line. And you're like, what, like, what the hell is this person? Is this a real human being? 
<laughs> yeah. Why? And why are you right now on kickoff after having done all the crap that you've already done? You know what? I respect you. That's some hustle. Also totally just while I'm thinking about it, one other super shout out is, uh, a kid that I coached at Roosevelt when I was there, Kendall Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, there was a, there were, for whatever reason, they're substituting and Texas gets down to the two or three. It's, it's when they're in the red zone. It's the one they actually end up scoring the touchdown on, on the, the, the sweep. Well, Kendall Jackson is uh, Kendall Jackson's in who is a walk on again, walk on come from Roosevelt. His dad was a, a football player at Iowa state for a long time. Dude makes a tackle on B. John Robinson, basically one-on-one in space to keep, to prevent a touchdown. And I think that was his first action on defense in meaningful minutes. And it was against one of the best running backs in the country and got, I mean, fantastic penetration, just a great tackle. So like using this as a little bit of a bigger jumping off point is that kind of stuff with the guy like Kate or with a guy like Kendall Jackson that has happened and no one catches it across, you know, someone substitutes in some guy just wearing number 13 makes a tackle for some team. And then all of a sudden later you find out what that story actually is. So that just, I don't know, just another, just really cool aspect of college football specifically, but like Iowa state having little stories here and there that just tie everything together. So yeah, shout out to Kendall Jackson and shout out to college football for being cool for stories like that. Well, and it was, it was interesting because Iowa state played some guys in the game that, in like relatively, you know, still important snaps. Like it wasn't like they, they didn't win by 50, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and like there was still, they were playing people that had not really ever even played before, you Mm -hmm. know, in, in some of those moments, I think a good example of that, the play where uh, on B. John Robinson's second fumble where Jake Hummel recovered it, Jake, the snake, uh, as we call him, according to Brandon Whedon, uh, Blake Peterson was in there on the play. Mm-hmm. like helping to, to, uh, to get Robinson wrapped up to where he ultimately fumbled. And like, I don't know that Blake Peterson, I don't remember. I I'm sure he has played. I don't remember him ever being out there in a time when the game was like yeah, still in snap. question in some yeah. level, you know, like that tells you that there's still guys that we haven't even gotten to see yet that are obviously making progress enough, but they're like, we trust them to go out there and play when the game is still like actually being contested. Yeah. Which makes, which it's not necessarily makes you hopeful for next year, but, um, it makes you less because Iowa state's going to lose a lot. I mean, just naturally, and we can, we'll, we will enjoy this season still, but Iowa state's going to lose a lot coming in going into next year. But the fact that you have these guys that are coming basically out of nowhere, like, um, 17, what's kids, uh, safety. What's his name? Freiler. Yeah. Bo Freiler. Yeah. True freshman. Going to be a machine. He's, terrific player already. And you have guys like that, like that are, that's the future. Jalen Noel, that kid continues to get better. And that's fun to see is you, he is now you, you can see the confidence that he has. That's fun. Dude. He had, he has some of the best sarcastic trash talk that I don't know if you, if you see it or pay attention to it at all. Uh, so there was, I don't remember. I think it was Xavier that was running kind of a go route and there was someone holding him and <laughs> Jalen Noel runs he was also running a vertical route so he's somewhere down the field and the guy who got called for holding on texas was just kind of standing there like man doing like man whatever and Jalen noel runs over and looks him dead in the eye points at the flag and then just runs back to the <laughs> runs back to the iowa state backfield like that's such quality trash talk 
from something you have nothing to do with. Like you are not remotely involved in that play, but just to, to have the confidence to look at a defensive back in the eyeballs, point at a flag and run away, which is, that's hilarious to me. So yeah, guys like that, it makes you more excited. Like Dion Silas, like that dude. Dude, that has, kid's going to be good. He has a different gear quick. Yeah. The different gear. I mean, cause it's funny too. Cause you, you come off of Brees who is so patient and like, I would say graceful as he runs. And then you, Deion Silas, who is like nine inches shorter, who has to take four times as many steps and just gets absolutely like he was shot out of a cannon on every single time that he runs. Yeah. That's, I, I think the, the running back room is in good hands, but yeah, that's stuff like that with Tucker, uh, excuse me, with Blake Peterson, with guys like Kendall Jackson, with guys like Freiler, the stories of the guys that are just kind of plugged in there. There is still the, the when Brock and Brees leave, it's not going to be Iowa state going back to winning four games in a year. No, for sure. Uh, all right. Last one. Then I think we can probably move on. Uh, we got to shout out Xavier Hutchinson for one of the worst looking good throws. I think I've ever seen from any player on a football field. Allegedly Xavier Hutchinson was once a quarterback. I don't know if I buy it. Mechanics say otherwise. I was going to say the mechanics say, or really it's like Matt Campbell even said this after he's like, if he was a quarterback, he wasn't a very good one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I also think though, that that was, you kind of throw mechanics out the window. Cause I've, I, in my, in my life, I have thrown one pass in a game, one for one touchdown. Just the saying, (laughs) perfect pass rating. Uh, and it was in high school. So that was the last time that I was able to throw a ball, but on that, it was a double pass and the receiver was wide open. And so when you see how wide open a receiver is, you're like, I have to get rid of this as soon as I can, as efficiently as I can. It doesn't even really matter if it looks good. I just have to go catch throw. And when I'm sure when he caught the ball and looked up and saw Tariq Milton, completely naked in the middle. There's not, there's not a person within 30 yards of Tariq Milton. I'm sure he was just like, just get rid of it. I don't care. Just get it out of my hand. And so, yeah, you, whatever foot is on the ground, however you have the ball, you just go, get on, go, go and just get rid of it. So yeah, I can, I can empathize, but yeah, those mechanics, not strong. And that's That's also one of those ones where if, as long as you get the ball anywhere in the general vicinity inbounds, Tariq's catching it and running a long way. You yes. know, like that, the, Xavier could have stood back there, set his feet, had some tea and then, uh, you know, had some crumpets and then still throwing the ball to Tariq Milton for a touchdown. Shout out to Tariq Milton had two also really big plays. That was one. And there was another one we caught. Uh, I think it was a dig across the middle. Took a huge yeah. hit immediately after he was nearly murdered on a, a play across the middle right before that it was back to back plays. Yes. he was destroyed jumping up to catch a ball. And I was like, Oh boy, that was like a defenseless receiver. Uh, in my mind, I was like, I think that that's textbook defenseless receiver right there, but I guess it is what it is instead of like, you know, if I, if I got hit like that, I don't think I would even like do anything. I wouldn't leave my bed for like three weeks. Drake Milton popped back up and went back out and caught the very next play. The same exact thing. Yep. Cause he's tougher than either one of us. It was awesome too. On the TV copy, you could see when Tariq caught that ball. You want to know who got the most excited on the sidelines. This was awesome, dude. Who? Kyle Kempt. Oh yeah. On, on the, uh, the double pass. Yeah. Dude, Kempt was full 40 yard dash down the sideline. Yeah. 
And that was cool. Just knowing that, you know, Tariq obviously played with Kyle, like they've known each other for a long time now and probably have a good relationship. Like it was cool to just see, you know, Kyle, who was so important in the beginning of all Mm -hmm. of this stuff. And then Tariq, who has just kind of been one of those, I don't know, one of those threads through the entire thing. Mm -hmm. And to see that, like in the excitement for him, I was like, man, that's like that, that's what's college football is, you know, like that's badass. Yeah. And I also, a, a cool thing about Tariq Milton is it's a really good example of a guy accepting a role that matches what his skill set is and then maximizing that role. Like uh, the Tyrus McGee, like is Tyrus was Tyrus McGee good enough to start? And I'm dating myself a little bit in Iowa state basketball references. Was he good enough to start? Absolutely. He was, but his role as the sixth man made it so that that team was better, even though it statistically was probably worse for him. Like if he would have started, he would have probably gotten three to five more shots per game just because he would have had, you know, whether it's more minutes or more attention or whatever, but he didn't and took the role that was assigned to him and then became a legend by doing that. Well, Jalen Knoll is a true slot receiver. Tariq is not like he's an outside receiver, but the outside receivers they have are Sean Shaw and Xavier Hutchinson. Well, Xavier Hutchinson is one of the best receiver, if not the best receiver in the conference. And Sean Shaw as he's, he's a fine receiver, but a tremendous blocker. And so you have his six, six, 225 pound frame. That's able to just manhandle corners and enable big runs by Brees Hall and stuff like that. Well, that's not really a position that Tariq is going to occupy. And Jalen Knowles a true. I mean, those are your three best wide receivers and it's hard to admit that that's not. And so then you get a guy like Tariq who can come in and play either one of them. And he is, there's no step down when he comes in. So he is a guy that so he is the Tyrus McGee of this offense is that he can come off the bench, fill in a spot where he needs to hit an explosive player two or three. I mean, how many times this season has I'm thinking of, there's a, a home game. I don't remember which one it actually Oklahoma state. Oklahoma state where he catches this big drag. It was a slant across the middle for like 35 yards. Dude probably ran 35 snaps in the game, had maybe two or three receptions. And each one of those two or three receptions were huge. And so similar situation is he probably played 30, 35 snaps, but in those 30, 35 snaps is going to make 10 plays that are absolutely necessary to winning. So that's just another, you know, a guy like Tariq Milton is a perfect example of just what the five-star culture is all about. For the young heads out there, the, I think a good comparison with, you know, you make the Tyrus McGee, Tyrese Halliburton, his freshman year, I think would be another good example of someone who just maximized what they did. They weren't the star player, but they maximized what their role was. Like I would say that he's, that's another comparison for the young heads. You know, I just want to make sure that we involve everyone since you were not going back to 2010 basketball. Well, you know, like I, I get what you're saying. There's a lot of people in our audience who get what you're saying, but you're old Jeff. So we just have to get the young heads involved as well. We want, we don't want to, you know, like we want to dominate all the demos, not just the, not just any one (laughs) specific one. Uh, The fart needs to be at the top. Everyone needs to fart. It would be unhealthy if not, if you did not. Uh, All right. Do you have any final thoughts on Texas before we take a break and turn the page? That was just cool to see. Uh, Oh, the, uh, not necessarily on Texas, a plus Jack Trice and the the fan base there, a plus trash talk. When you're, uh, when you're up by 27, or 23, excuse me, you're up by 23 and you start chanting sec a plus trash talk. I'm proud of you. Whoever started that the multiple times that it started good job out of you. That is such a wonderful send off to a team that absolutely deserves it. You know, I, you know, now, now that we've gotten to see Texas play this year, I, I get why they would leave the league. I would want to play Vanderbilt and Mississippi state 
and uh, Ar- you know, well, apparently not Arkansas. Uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like, I, I would like to play those teams over playing Iowa State too. Yeah, I think. for sure. Like, I, I, I can, I, I get it. Wanna, I don't want to play in Ames, get my ass kicked in November where it's cold. If I'm going to get my ass kicked, I want it to be in Starkville, Mississippi, where it's a nice 75 degrees. Right. Or yeah. Or in Oxford or, you know, but it's just, I, so I saw the sec standings yesterday and I think I was watching a uh, late kick Josh with Josh Pate and Josh Pate's awesome. But, uh, that shows awesome for any college football fan out there, but, uh, they had the sec standings up on there. And I was just like imagining Oklahoma and Texas being in them. And I was sitting there and I was like, this league is not really like that fun. I don't know. Like any given week, there's going to be someone who has to go and play, you know, they have to, yeah, they have to go play Vanderbilt, you know, mm-hmm. well, congrats, I, I guess, you know, uh, you mm-hmm. have to go to South Carolina. C- congrats. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. And it's like, everybody made this big deal about these huge games that they're going to be able to have. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess like you'll play Alabama and, LSU and Texas A&M, but like more often than not, you're going to play some kind of shitty games. I'm not going to lie. And good riddance. Yeah. Good riddance. We won't miss them. All right. We'll, uh, we'll be right back on football and random things here on the cycle fanatic podcast network. Welcome back into football and random things here on the cyclone fanatic podcast network. All right. We're looking ahead now. Uh, moving on past the game against Texas. Uh, the Cyclones are right back into the Big 12 title chase. I think we kind of expected that they probably would get back into it. I don't know that we expected it to happen in the way that it did with Baylor falling at the hands of TCU immediately after TCU had fired their head coach. But uh, would you say, would you say Baylor took a are. step? Would you say Baylor took a step back? I think one could say that. Yeah. I think one could say that Baylor did indeed take a stick, uh, take a step back. Hug your kids, kiss your wife. I hope that Dave Aranda is doing that right now. It's uh, thank you, TCU. And that drastically changes how everything goes in the season. So now uh, for Iowa State fans, if you have, um, if you have any good juju in your body, you want to send it to Norman, Oklahoma for the next six days. And then after that, cut it off. No more good juju. But if Oklahoma beats Baylor, Iowa state can win out and it doesn't matter because if Oklahoma beats Baylor, Baylor would have three losses in conference. They're more or less removed then from the capacity to get in the big 12 championship. If Iowa state beats Oklahoma, then Oklahoma would have one loss. Iowa state would have two losses. It's let's say in this situation, Oklahoma also wins out. If Iowa State's got two losses with wins over Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they would be third in the conference. And then the top two teams would be playing each other, each of which has one loss to Iowa State. Doesn't matter which team wins then, because if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State, then Oklahoma State would have two losses. Then you have a Oklahoma is first place in the conference. Iowa State and Oklahoma State would be tied in second. Uh, The first tiebreaker is just head-to-head. Iowa State beat Oklahoma State. Oklahoma state drops to third. Iowa state goes to second. Boom. You're in the championship. Let's say you go to bedlam again, same situation. And Oklahoma state beats Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma would have two losses. They go drop down in the tiebreaker. Iowa state beat Oklahoma, Oklahoma drops down to third, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, boom championship. So by Baylor losing to TCU, if Oklahoma beats Baylor, 
Iowa State is in full control of their Big 12 destiny again. So that is a huge loss by Baylor and a huge opportunity for Iowa State. So on Saturday, when Baylor and Oklahoma play, you are rooting for Oklahoma. Point blank, plain and simple, even if you don't like them. And that game is in Waco. Uh, that should be an interesting game, I think. I don't, I'm not quite sure what I, how I feel about that one yet. Do we yeah, know? What, do you know what the line opened at? I'm gonna look. No, you can look at it, but I don't. I don't. I still don't trust OU all the way, just because I don't think. I mean, the the Texas Tech game, the game after they had fired their head coach, the the Texas Tech game that was the best that Oklahoma had looked, kind of offensively and defensively. They both put it together at the same time, but it's still Texas Tech in a pretty distracted game. So I don't know what to think of Oklahoma because they have played some really good games and some really bad games, and they haven't played a really super strong schedule yet. So oh, we talked about OU, they finish with the best three teams in the conference. So the top four teams are pretty clear in the conference. It's Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, and Baylor and any real orientation you want to have them, uh, well, they finish Oklahoma finishes Baylor, Iowa state, Oklahoma state back to back to back luck. I mean, yes, they're coming off a bye, but they still have to go with the three most physical games. They're going to play in a row. I'm still not sure what to think of Oklahoma, but it doesn't really matter. Oklahoma needs to win on Saturday. Sooners are five and a half point uh, favorites in that game. Uh, I think that's the big noon kickoff on Fox. It should be a, should be a good one ahead of Iowa state and Texas tech. Texas tech did hire a new coach today, uh, reportedly. Uh, Joey McGuire, the tight ends coach and I think special teams coordinator at Baylor, uh, a longtime high school coach in Texas. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him and how that uh, that works out for the Red Raiders. But uh, he will not be the head coach this weekend when uh, when Iowa State goes on the road to Texas Tech. What are your general vibes with this one? Um, as long as Iowa State comes out with even a remotely full juice bucket, they should win this game comfortably. If they come out flat, Texas Tech is good enough. They, 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 got, they got 85 scholarships too. Texas Tech is good enough if Iowa State comes out flat to make the game uncomfortable because they are explosive. They generally have good players. They have solid wide receiver room. They got a quarterback who has a big arm, accurate. Eh. But I mean, they have, they have 85 scholarships. They have the capacity to do it. But it's also a team that is probably functioning similar to what Texas emotional state is, which is if you give them a reason to quit, they will. If you don't give them a reason to quit, they won't. And so in the first half, there is, you know, Texas is kind of hanging around. They, they sort of believe that they're going to happen. Then as soon as the Brees Hall run, we talked about, you know, for 10 minutes in the first segment, as soon as that run happened, it gave them a reason to check out. Well, Texas tech, they fired their coach. They know this is pretty much a forgotten year. They may or may not get to a bowl game. Probably not. They, you know, they got a lot of work to do to get to six. So yeah, they, this season kind of doesn't matter if they can get out of it, but if, you know, if a team comes in plays really well, they can, it will allow them to check out. And so they have the capacity to run away with it, but yeah, give them a reason to quit and they will. All right. Then let me ask you this one. And then, and we're going to sign off. Texas is a 30 point favorite over Kansas. Is Kansas going to cover the 30? Where is it? Uh, Austin. No. I feel like it being in Austin almost is a detriment to Texas though. Cause like, if it's oh, not going well in the first half, like just think what those fans are going to be like. Yeah. A lot of boo birds. Uh, I just don't, I think talent alone 
will carry Texas to beat the hell out of tech, out of Kansas. I have no reason to believe that Texas can beat anybody by 30 points. Well, they'd be no Texas. reason to believe it. They beat Texas tech by like a hundred. Well, but they gave up like 90. True. True. It's just, Kansas is just next level bad. They're next level bad. Yeah. They beat Texas tech by 35 points. The only other team that they've beat with that kind of uh, like by that kind of margin was rice. Beat 58 to zero. Nobody I, else has I, even come close to playing at that kind of level against to like being that level of bad against Texas. And that was a month and a half ago. This is a uh, Kansas covers be... the 30. I'm telling you right now, that's my best bet of the week. Kansas covers the 30. I still don't believe it. Better the week. You also said that Kansas is going to be Kansas. Lock State. It up. Well, that it? was no, 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 no. You said it. People said on the it. podcast network didn't hear it. So it didn't happen. No, it totally did. Well, they were, Hey, they're, you know, next year. The atmosphere wasn't good enough this year. Steel, but, probably not. It's going to happen. One of these days, it's going to happen. One of these days. The it's going to happen. One of these years. One of these weeks, Kansas is going to get somebody, Jeff. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> it's going to be 2026, and Kansas beats uh, TCU for Kansas's second win of the year and TCU's third loss of the year. And you're going to be like, ha, I knew it. I called it. Only 18 years after their last uh, <laughs> Big 12 road win. Oh happen. man, what a what a deal! All right, man. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again on the the tailgate show on Saturday. Everybody have a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of Football and Random Things. Peace.